He was an outcast. He was a beggar. The man was blind from birth. His life was one of total darkness and dependence on others for daily sustenance. People were used to seeing him near the temple begging for money or for food. And then one day he was gone. News was spreading fast of his supposed healing. A man blind from birth receiving sight? I mean, how could this be? Who did this? How did it happen? And what does it all mean? John chapter 9 is the story of Jesus giving sight to the blind and the controversy that follows. And as the drama unfolds, we find ourselves caught between a man who knew he couldn't see and those who claim they do see. Let's read it. John 9. As he passed by, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with, his, with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and, and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. And so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he has not kept the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. 
And so for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this, these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we pray you give us eyes to see, ears to hear. We thank you, Father, we thank you for your word, for the gift of your son, what we learn of you, your character, your ways, what we learn of our condition and of our need all through this story. Lord, you're so good to give this to us. Help us to engage it with everything in us. In Christ's name, amen. All right, two points for us this morning. Number one, sight to the physically blind and the controversy that follows. And number two, sight to the spiritually blind and the crossroads that we're brought to. So first, sight to the physically blind and the controversy that follows. You know, back in John 8, Jesus caused quite a stir in the temple during that Feast of Tabernacles, if you remember. He was claiming to be the light of the world, claiming that everyone needs freedom from enslavement to sin and that it's only found in him, claiming that those who keep his word will never taste death, taking on the divine name, the very name God used to identify himself in Israel's story, I am, taking that name on himself, and then the crowds pick up stones to throw at him for blasphemy. They know what he's doing. But Jesus, it says in chapter 8, verse 59, Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 
Now, leaving the temple area, they see this man who had been blind from birth. And the disciples, essentially, they want to know, hey, how did he end up this way? Who sinned, him or his parents? There has to be some kind of connection to his parents' sin or to this man's behavior is what they're thinking. You know, it's easy to say that kind of thing when you're healthy and whole. Their question is loaded with assumptions that were customary in that day, that suffering could be traced to an individual's sin. You know, it's, it's not that our poor decisions or our behavior don't have consequences. They do. They do. But to assume a connection between disability and sin, Jesus shuts it down. He shuts it down. He, he basically says, look, you're asking the wrong question. Jesus redirects their attention to the work of God in the midst of human brokenness. In other words, it's as if he's saying, focus your attention on the reason I'm here, on the work God is doing in the midst of this sin-sick, broken world. Focus your attention on the work the Father is doing through me. This man is going to put God's mercy and power on bold display. He says in verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. While it is day? Yes. While Jesus was with them. Jesus knew that night was coming when the heavy darkness of sin and shame would fall on him, when all hope would seem like it was lost, when the world would would feel like it was unraveling and falling apart, completely undone, but not yet. Not yet. That day was coming when he would hang naked on a cross, bearing the weight of our guilt and shame, receiving upon himself the wrath of God the Father the deserved wrath and punishment on our sin, the darkness of that day, but not yet, not yet. The light of the world is shining. The light of the world is at work, putting on display God's mercy and power. The light of the world is about to shine in this particular man's darkness, and we get a front row seat. Verse six, we see what happens. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with mud. Yeah, you read that right. That's right. He spit on the ground and made mud, and then put it on the man's eyes. What's going on here? I believe this is an echo back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 when God created man out of the dust, out of the mud of the ground. I think it's an echo. The creator is recreating. Look, you you couldn't find a man in poorer conditions than this man. His present circumstances were totally overwhelming him. His future was bleak, I mean, to say the least. His life filled with heartache and despair defined by his disability, rejected by his society, dependent on the mercy of others for his daily survival. Everything was hard for this man. Every day was hard for this man. He learned to cope, 
but I'm sure he felt trapped, alone, and hopeless. And it's there that Jesus decides to bring new creation life. Now, the pool of Siloam was the only freshwater spring in Jerusalem. It's the source of water used in the Feast of Tabernacles, and Mark preached on it several weeks ago in John chapter 7. It's the one Jesus had already alluded to. If you go back with me to Mark 7, verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I believe this name, Siloam, holds important, um, some important symbolic uh, meaning here. It means sent. And so here the blind man is sent to go wash in a place called sent by the one who is sent by the Father. Jesus is the source of this man's healing, not the pool of Siloam. Jesus is the source. He sends this man, nonetheless, to the pool with mud on his eyes to wash, and he comes back seeing. He comes back seeing. The colors, the dimensions, the brilliance of it all, just overwhelming. He was blind from birth. Now he can see. A whole new world of depth and beauty that was only experienced before with touch and sound and smell suddenly coming alive in every way. What had been described as the color blue could now be known. What had been imagined as a sunset could now be experienced. Wispy clouds in the sky, floating dust in the air. He could see it all. The butterfly off in the distance. The world had become new, brand new. Isaiah 41, 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Now, the Lord is speaking through the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus. And he's, the Lord is speaking of this coming chosen servant, the servant of the Lord. And this is what he says. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant, a promise for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison of those who sit in darkness beautiful, beautiful imagery. We're seeing it come to pass in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus knew this. In Luke chapter 4, the first sermon that Jesus preaches, his text is Isaiah 61. And this is what he reads. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he closes, he rolls up the scroll, and you could hear a pin drop in that synagogue. Jesus is the Lord's chosen servant, and he's on the scene bringing sight to the blind, bringing new creation life. Now, the response to this is dramatic, as you would imagine. In verses 8 through 12, the neighbors and those who had seen this formerly blind man begging every day, they're in shock. Just imagine your response to someone who had been blind from birth now seeing. Their response is dramatic. They, They don't know what to make of it. They ask questions. Is this really the man that used to beg? Is this the same person? It can't be. I mean, it just looks like him. The man keeps saying, no, 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 it's me. Hey, it's, it's really me. And his testimony is the man called Jesus. I mean, that's all he's got. The man called Jesus, made mud, put it on my eyes, and I went and washed, and now I see. He keeps telling that story. The man called Jesus. But what unfolds next starts to feel like a, an, an investigative like docu-series that you might see on Netflix, okay? Um, verses 13 on. So here in, in 13 through 17, the formerly blind man is brought before the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, and they start to, to really interrogate this man. We find out that Jesus healed this blind man on a Sabbath day. It's a day of rest, a day of worship, a day you didn't work. Now, we've seen this before where Jesus restores and he renews. He brings new creation life on Sabbath because he has a proper understanding of what the Sabbath was all about, all about renewal and rest, restoration. Now, the religious leaders of Jesus' day had added their own regulations to safeguard themselves from from breaking the Sabbath. All the while, they missed the intention and the heart of the Sabbath to begin with. And so here, they're all bent out of shape that Jesus healed this man. He made mud on the Sabbath. Told this man to go and wash on the Sabbath. And so the religious leaders start in with a series of questions that, again, feels like an interrogation. And the first question is, how? When we see this question just scattered throughout this, this, this narrative, how? How did he receive sight? Verse 16, he answers, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things? So this is their response. How can this man actually be from God if he breaks the Sabbath? He cannot be from God. He's not doing things within a framework that makes sense to us, is what they're saying. So how can he be from God? Verse 17, they look at the formerly blind man. They're like, okay, what do you say about him? He healed you. What do you think? And the man says, he is a prophet. So this man moves from the man called Jesus and now believes him to be a prophet. He must at least be a prophet. And then in verses 18 through 23, they call in the man's parents. Now, his parents were afraid. They were intimidated by the religious leaders. It had already been decided that anyone identifying or confessing Jesus to be Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Now, Christ, it means anointed one. 
It's not Jesus' last name, Jesus. He's not Mr. Christ. He, it's a title. Jesus the Christ, the King, the Messiah, the long-awaited anointed one who will come and make all things new, who will deliver his people out of slavery. They were anticipating the Messiah. The prophet spoke of one who was coming. Promises of God were there. They were holding on. And so they were saying anyone who would identify or, or say that confess Jesus as Christ would be put out of the synagogue. Which, by the way, the synagogue is the focal point of the entire community. So to be put out was to be considered an outcast in that community. Their whole way of life, just think of this, from social standing to their place of worship, it was all at stake. And so the parents are sitting there thinking, okay, we just want to get on with our lives. We don't want anything to change. They were afraid of losing their place in society, afraid of being cast out of the synagogue. And so they deflect, don't they? You ever feel that way? What fears do you have when it comes to openly professing Jesus due to social consequences? The stigma, the label, the misunderstanding, the rejection. When we confess Jesus, when we refuse to back down, when we stand firm in what we know is true, it will be met with opposition. It will be. Parents, they respond to the religious leaders, hey, we have no idea how this happened. Ask him. Ask him. He's old enough. So they call in the formerly blind man again, verse 24. Give glory to God. Come on, man. Speak truthfully now. That's what that means. Speak truthfully now. Tell the truth. Give glory to God. We know Jesus is a sinner, and you know it too, is what they're saying. They were doing what they could to discredit Jesus. They wanted this man to do the same. He couldn't. He couldn't. They were also, if you notice, they're interpreting this man's experience for him in many ways as if to say, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, you had an experience, but you're mistaken as to what all this means and who he really is. They weren't taking him seriously. They had categorized Jesus. They had reached their conclusions already. Have you ever talked with someone who really, they're asking questions, but their mind is already made up? It's a frustrating conversation because you're like, are you really asking a question? Do you really care about what I have to say? Here's what he says, the the formerly blind man, he says, one thing I do know, I love this. Verse 25. He says, one thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Look, he knew what he was before. He knew what he, he was now after encountering Jesus and nothing anyone said would convince him otherwise. This man didn't have all the answers, but he knew that a transformation had taken place. Look, don't dismiss the transformation that Jesus has brought in your life. Don't listen to those who want to categorize it as something else, saying, oh, you're no different. Nothing's really changed. They launch into the same questions that they asked before. 
I think this formerly blind man is a bit exasperated. He gets bold. All the evidence is pointing to the fact that this is God's doing. He eventually says, hey, look, do you want to become his disciples as well? You seem to be fighting all the evidence. That's what he's saying. You don't know where he's from because that's really what the debate was about. He broke the Sabbath, so he must be a sinner. He just can't be from God. So this isn't the work of God. And this formerly blind man is saying, look, you don't know where he's from, really? Really? Look what he says in verse 32. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so now this man has moved There's this progression of faith in this man's heart. He moves from saying that Jesus is a man, a man called Jesus. He is a prophet, and now he's saying he's from God. Do you see the progression of faith in this man? He's from God. Well, they totally flip out. You're nothing. You're born in utter sin. How dare you teach us? And what happens in this moment is that the religious leader's spiritual pride is seen for what it is. They're unwilling to see any fault in themselves, and they're very quick here to conclude Jesus is a sinner. They're unwilling to hear anything that this man has to say about Jesus, and they cast the man out. But again, I want to draw our attention to the progression of faith in this man. Where are you when it comes to Jesus? A man called Jesus, a prophet from God. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, okay, I'm wrestling with the claims of Jesus. I know he's a good teacher. Um, I, could, I could get on board with a prophet. But maybe you've stopped there. But you're still here. And that's amazing. I'm so glad. I don't want you to stop there. There's more to Jesus than that. And, and Jesus is about to encounter this man and bring him further. But, but maybe you're sitting here and you say, you know what, Darren, I, I know what you're saying. You, you might even take another step and say, I, I agree with what you're saying. But have you moved from knowledge to agreement to belief? And there's a difference there. You might nod your head and say, I know, and I even agree, and I applaud what you're doing here and what you're saying, but, but do you believe? Do you believe And that's where we go next. Number two, sight to the spiritually blind and the crossroads that we are brought to. So Jesus heard that they had cast the man out, and I love that we're told that. that. Their treatment motivated Jesus to go and find him out, to seek him out. I think Jesus would have sought him out anyways, but I love that, that Jesus hears that they cast him out, and that's when he goes to find the man. Cast out by, by the religious leaders of the day. Jesus finds him. Jesus had already sought this man out once before. He had already stepped into the darkness, into the brokenness of his life, and now he's doing it again. But this time, Jesus is after a deeper healing. Jesus had already opened up his physical eyes, and now he's interested in opening his spiritual eyes. He's interested in healing his spiritual blindness. He's interested in lifting him up out of the darkness and bringing new creation life in the fullest sense. And so Jesus, the light of the world, begins with a question. 
There's so much to learn here. Jesus finds the man. He seeks him out, and he begins with a question. There's so much to learn here about sharing Jesus with others, sharing Jesus here in this city. We're learning from Jesus how to talk about Jesus. We're learning from Jesus how to ask the right questions of our neighbors and of the people around us in our city. Look what Jesus does. He asks this question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now he gives them this title, the Son of Man. It's a way Jesus most frequently referred to himself in his public ministry as the Son of Man. Its meaning has its, it's, it's rooted in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where one like a Son of Man is given authority to bring judgment, to rule over all things. This one like a Son of Man, his kingdom will never pass away. There's messianic expectations throughout those verses. And so this would have been a verse that those there in Jesus' day were, were holding on to and, and, and waiting to see unfold, hoping and praying that, that God would meet and fulfill. And Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And so this formerly blind man says, who, who is he? Show me that I may believe in him. I think it's important for us to remember that we live in a, in a culture, in a city, that um, we can assume people understand who Jesus is, and, and they really, many don't. Many have heard terms that are not understood and have never been defined for them. Many have never read the Bible for themselves. Now, I see this as a great honor and privilege to be in a city where there's essentially like people all around me who have never opened up the Bible for themselves. Maybe they learned about Jesus through like, I don't know, cartoons when they were growing up or maybe through whatever movies, um, you know, the, the blonde-haired, white, blue-eyed Jesus. I don't know, but all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is, but we have the privilege of, of taking people by the hand and showing them the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus of the Bible. And it's such an honor. And so we can't assume as we, we talk to people that, that they're understanding our, our language. And so our job is to contextualize, to speak the truth of the gospel, the truth about Jesus in a language that our neighbors can understand without compromising its message. Jesus said, do you believe? Who is he? Show me that I may believe. Jesus says, you're looking right at him. You ever meet someone and not realize who they were at first? Maybe you set up a meeting and uh, you're waiting at Starbucks or somewhere and, and you don't know what they look like. And then you're like, oh, there you are. Oh, okay. I mean, just imagine this man, like, in that moment. This, you're, you're, the son of, you're the son of man? And so he moved from a man called Jesus to a prophet to from God, to you're the son of man. He believed and he worshiped. A progression of faith. And you know, we should expect that kind of progression of faith here in our midst, in this community. Give people the space to come to grips with who Jesus is. Well, he declares his faith. He expresses that faith through worship. Beautiful. His eyes were opened. In this moment, 
the spiritual blindness is lifted. We're seeing it. The colors, the dimensions, and brilliance of it all was overwhelming. A new world of depth and beauty just opened up for this man. Wholeness and love, forgiveness and grace, relationship with God restored, sins forgiven, darkness lifted. What others described could now be known by this man and experienced. What he had only longed for and hoped for before was now finding fulfillment. Oh, this real-life event, this physical healing, it remains a powerful illustration or metaphor of what Jesus, the light of the world, came to do, and that is to heal our spiritual blindness. And so, I mean, that's what we see here. He heals this man's physical blindness, but then heals his spiritual blindness. And look how it ends, verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see may become blind. Verse 39 could be translated this way. According to the message, it says, I came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day. The lights have been turned on. Jesus came to turn the lights on. Both the blind man and the Pharisees have stood in the light of Jesus The blind man received what Jesus offered. He believed who Jesus claimed to be. He was humbled and he was brought into the light. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were unwilling. They resisted in every way and they remained in darkness. Well, guess what? Now it's our turn. It's our turn to stand in the light and it's a piercing light. It is radiant with holiness and truth and love. The New Testament talks about this In many ways, I want to turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, and he quotes a song that they would sing back in the day, Awake, O sleeper, and rise arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I love it, the imagery. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The light has been turned on. It's a piercing light. How are we going to respond to it? So here we are in John 9. We we find ourselves caught between a man who knew he couldn't see and those who claim that they do see. Between a man who owned up to the fact that he was spiritually blind and those who refuse to admit their spiritual blindness, who think they can see just fine. And we, through John 9, were brought to a crossroads. And there's no room for neutrality. A decision needs to be made. John 9 illustrates our spiritual condition and the healing that only Jesus brings. So through this drama and controversy, and after the frenzy of interrogation and debate, Jesus has found you. Jesus has found you, and he asks you the most important question 
of your life. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you see Jesus for who he really is? The lights have been turned on. A whole new world of depth and beauty has opened up, has opened up to us. Will we step into it? It's there for us to step into. Okay, let's pray. We see John 9. It's mind-bending. It's breathtaking. Jesus, we, we see how you, you worked a miracle in this man physically and then brought true spiritual eyes opened his eyes spiritually. And Lord, in many ways, John 9 is like autobiographical for us. It's our story where we were blind from birth and you, you gave us eyes to see. But Lord, help us to really, each one of us in this room, wrestle with whether or not we're standing with the Pharisees or with this man previously blind from birth. Lord, are we responding to you in a way that is humble and recognizing our desperate need for you? If we have been given eyes to see, Lord, would you renew us in that reality, in that truth? Would you help us to see the depth and the beauty and the wholeness and the life and the love that is found there and walk in it? To live it out as children of light. And if we're standing unwilling Closed off, Lord, would you, would you break that hardness? Would you confront any self-righteousness? Would you do in us the surgery that we need, that only you can do? John 9 teaches us so much about your character, Jesus. You stepped into the darkness of this man's life. You stepped into the darkness of our life. You pursued this man when he was cast out. You pursued us when we were cast out. You gave this man spiritual eyes to see, and many of us in this room have been given spiritual eyes to see a gift from your hand. So help us, Lord, now to respond humbly with worship as this man did. Lives lived for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.